1: Welcome to the Patricia Raskin Show, the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions. And now, the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio. Here's your host, Patricia Raskin. Well,
2: hello everyone, and welcome. Welcome to the second half of the Patricia Raskin Show right here on voiceamerica.com, America's Voice. Well, now we are going to talk about Women, women's rights, equality, of women, which actually comes at a good time, for those of you listening uh, in October before our election, and for those of you listening afterwards, um, we're talking about that as well, because we are on the verge of possibly having a female president for the first time. My guest is Alita Brill, and her book is Dear Princess Grace, Dear Betty, Alita Brill is a feminist social critic the author of Nobody's Business, The Paradoxes of Privacy, and the editor of A Rising Public Voice, Women in Politics Worldwide. She's also the co-author of Dimensions of Tolerance, What Americans Believe About Civil Liberties, and the dual memoir, Dancing at the River's Edge, A Patient and Her Doctor Negotiate Life with Chronic Illness. And we're talking today about this this memoir of a romantic feminist um, and it's Dear Princess Grace and Dear Betty. Welcome, Alita.
3: Thank you, Patricia. It's very nice to be back with you on your program.
2: Thank you. Tell us about why you wrote the book, and
3: you were a friend of um, Betty Friedan. I was indeed a friend of Betty Friedan's. In fact, for me, she was a second mother. She always called, she always called me her younger girlfriend. That was fine with me. Um, I met her when I moved to New York City, before I was 30 years of age, Um, and she was my friend until the end of her life, Um, so it was a very long friendship.
2: What about Princess Princess Grace, because you also write this to Princess Grace. Did you know her?
3: No, I didn't know Princess Grace, but I was a little girl, a very little girl, six years old when Princess Grace was about to become Princess Grace but I had fallen in love with her as an actress, Miss Grace Kelly. And I wanted to be a princess, but I wanted to be a real princess, not an animated Disney one. And so I convinced my mother to help me send a letter to Princess Grace because I wanted something from that moment of her becoming a princess. And my mother did cooperate with me. And in the letter, which is reprinted, the draft of the letter is reprinted in the front page, front piece of the book, I say how happy I am for her, uh, her upcoming marriage, and my very last sentence is, I hope you will be happy forever, and ever, and ever, so my eyes were on the princess prize when I was a girl, and um, the the palace did write back, and so that- They
2: did. Oh, yes. They say-
3: Well, you know, Her Serene Highness thanks you very much, and uh, got the whole official thing, and stamps, and the embossed, and Princess Grace's signature, and my mother being very wise about such things, and not at all into princesses or fairy tales, marched me down to the local newspaper and had me tell my story about writing to Princess Grace. And the little local newspaper wrote me up in the Lakewood Today column. My town was Lakewood, California. My mother's lesson was simple, Patricia. Wanting to be a princess isn't what matters. Writing down your thoughts matters. (laughs) So it was an interesting lesson. And then when I was not quite 13, Betty Friedan published The Feminine Mystique. I was too young to know much about what it meant. I didn't quite get it. But that book transformed my mother's life, as it did so many women in America. So I think that Grace Kelly and Betty Friedan are the bookends of my life. I started out wanting to be a princess, and I ended up as a feminist.
2: Uh, Well, it's interesting because, let's see, 1920 was when women first were able to vote.
3: Finally. And of course, my mother... and indeed years. Yes, and my mother and Hillary Clinton's mother and most of the mothers of my friends of my age group, baby boomer mothers, most of our mothers were born before the the enfranchisement, before the suffrage. Mm -hmm. So we understood as little girls that women hadn't always been able to vote.
2: Yeah, so interesting. And so we are on the verge of, and by the time many people listen to this interview, the president will be in, and and uh, there's a good chance it will be uh, Hillary Clinton. We don't know that yet. But, you know, I, I in light of everything that's been happening uh, uh, with back and forth, and particularly lately in the news about disparaging comments about women from the other side, from Donald Trump, You know, my question to you, Alika, is, you know, in your lifetime, A, have you seen anything like this, and B, what's changed
3: and what hasn't? If you had interviewed me a year ago, if this book had come out a year ago, I would have said to you something so very different. I would have been only upbeat with you, Patricia. I would have said, well, look, we have this achievement and how many women are now doctors and women are having children in all sorts of non-traditional relationships, including on their own, and single women are no longer considered to be something less than whole people, I would have said so much to you. Um, I am not as jubilant because the Trump candidacy and what, he has brought forward, um, I, there's no secret that I'm a Democrat. I've always been a Democrat. I come from a Democratic, uh, household. My parents were mm. FDR Democrats, you know, which was pretty tame because, uh, you know, I, I, my first marriage was with a, with a young man whose parents were communists. Now, that was really scary stuff mm. and very radical. My parents weren't radicals. They were They were New Deal Democrats. They were extremely liberal. They believed very much in civil rights and rights of women. My mother's mother, my grandmother, was a suffragist. I come from that tradition, but I have never felt that there was something evil or wrong about the Republican Party. They're part of us, the mm -hmm. grand old party. But what Mr. Trump's candidacy has done is to expose something in our country that is not just anti-black, anti-Latino, anti-Muslim. It has brought to light hostility, and uh, a rage against women because mm-hmm. we exist as something other or dare to exist as something other than sexual objects or servants for their mm-hmm. desires. So I'm down. I'm down, Patricia. I would be lying if I, if I said I wasn't. And assuming that Secretary Clinton is able to secure the, uh, the presidency... Uh, the Electoral College vote goes in her direction. Um, of course, I will be thrilled. But I, I will be less ecstatic than I would have been a year ago because we have lost something during this yeah. campaign that really matters. We have lost civility, and we, yeah. I think, have frightened our girls and yeah. our boys. And there's
2: an integrity piece there, too, Alita. You know, it, 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 what happened to... Um, What's the word I wanna use? Etiquette and kindness and poise and caring about each other's feelings and it's 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 kind of like this has become like it reminds
3: me of a gladiator fight. I mean, honestly. It's interesting that you said that because a very dear friend of mine called me when the debate was over, and she said, are we watching a debate or are we watching a gladiator? Yeah. Are, are we in the, watching the Coliseum gladiator fight? Yeah. But there was something else that troubled me even more. And, you know, out of the, words of ba- out of the mouths of babes, as we say, um, a very little friend of mine who's quite, quite my friend who's just six years old, happens mm-hmm. to live live in my building and her parents let her watch the debate and then I thought oh I don't think I'd let a six year old watch the debate given the things that were going on and this is what she took away from it she said why was he trying to scare her and when I thought about it you know he did sort of stalk Behind her and pace behind her, and of course, he is larger than she is. She's a normal sized woman. She's not petite, but she's not enormous. And I thought, you know, that was, I thought it was annoying and rude. A little girl translated that as frightening. Well,
2: and his, his expressions, you know, the expressions were very yes, bullish. Exactly, Very I, bullish. I, I uh, I, think, um, yeah, I just, you know, I, I I guess my question about all of this for you is, you know, your purpose, tell us your purpose in writing this book. Your purpose was for women to be able to what?
3: Well, I wrote this book because it is the story, it's my story. But what I always say in my talks and in my interviews is, it's an American story. This is the story of an American girl. It happens to be me, but it could be so many of us. There's nothing about my childhood or indeed my grown life that is all that remarkable. It is simply the story of an American girl. And what I'm trying to say in the book, it's a memoir. Yes, it is, Patricia, but it's a cultural memoir. It has the, the moments of our of our country's history, from Cold War to now. And what I'm trying to do is to say it doesn't matter where you come from or where you start. What matters is where you're going. And what happened for me very early on was an awareness, because of Betty Friedan's book, because of what it did for so many women, that I, too, counted, that I mattered, and that I mattered as something other than a pretty girl, a smart pretty girl, that I could do things, and before, I think, girls had fewer role models. There was, of course, Eleanor Roosevelt, but... I think that what Betty Friedan did in the way she wrote and the way she excited so many of our mothers, I wanted for the young generation of millennials and I guess they call themselves Gen X, the little bit uh, older women and men, to see the story and to understand that this is our story, all of our stories, mm-hmm. and that there's still work to do with girls right. because little girls still want to be princesses.
2: Yeah, yeah. All right, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we are talking more to Alita Brill. Her memoir is Dear Princess Grace, Dear Betty, and it, it's very much about... Women, women's rights, women equality, um, women today, women then, and uh, women's values. You're listening to the Patricia Raskin Show right here on VoiceAmerica.com. We'll be right back.
0: Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, VoiceAmerica.com. A wave of change is happening in our world now. A new feminine way of leadership is emerging, yet this is not about women taking over. This Rise of the Feminine is helping men too. Join host Gina Lazenby, award-winning businesswoman, best-selling author, and speaker on feminine wisdom as she reports on the Rise of the Feminine with inspiring stories of women who are coming into their own and finding their unique purpose. Tune in and join this conversation in the Rise of the Feminine each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel.
1: Hoarding has become a tremendous issue worldwide, not just for those who hoard, but for the people who love and care about them. On Take Back Your Life, When Your Things Are Taking Over, host Elaine Burchall helps you to understand and get unstuck from the clutter in your life, no matter how severe. Our program brings you practical strategies to help you get started and maintain your goals. Listen live every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel.
0: Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com.
1: Are listening to the Patricia Raskin Show. If you wish to call into our program today, please call 1 866 472 5788. That number again is 1 866 472 5788. You may also send an email to patricia at patriciaraskin.com. Now, back to the Patricia Raskin Show.
2: Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back. We are talking about women, about women's equality women's rights, women's beliefs, uh, the glass ceiling. My guest is Alita Brill. Her book is a memoir, and the name of her book is Dear Princess Grace, Dear Betty. She is a feminist social critic, the author of Nobody's Business, The Paradoxes of Privacy, and an editor of a rising public voice, Women in Politics Worldwide, as well as many others. And she is Very much, she knew Betty Friedan very well, and we're talking about women today and then and the lessons and the future of women in a positive way. Welcome back, Alita.
3: Thank you, Patricia.
2: All right, so, you know, I asked you this during the break. I asked you to think about this, is if you look at women today, now women like myself who are baby boomers, you know, we were raised differently, and I'm writing a book about this. You know, our mothers at our age weren't doing what a lot of us are doing. We didn't have many entrepreneurial mothers in our day. Maybe, but rare. So we didn't have that role model. You know, we've had to create our own paths and forge ahead in our own way. So I think, you know, your comments about baby boomer women, as well as women of other stages. But let's start with baby boomers. Did you hear me?
3: No, I just lost that question.
2: Oh, well, you 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 uh, you heard my commentary about the baby boomer. Absolutely, boom. I heard all, all of that. Right. So, so what what is your thought today? What would be your
3: message for the baby boomer women? I for mean, my generation, you know I'm a baby yeah, boomer. Yeah, Hillary
2: Clinton's age.
3: Right. I am. I, Hillary and I are with spitting dis, within spitting distance of each other. She's a little bit older than I am, but not a whole lot older. My message is: we didn't get it all right. We don't know everything and when your daughter, I'm talking particularly to the mothers of daughters in this heightened moment, when your daughter doesn't understand where you're coming from, don't lecture, show don't tell. Um, Nobody ever wants to be lectured by mom. I certainly didn't want my mother to tell me how I was getting it all wrong. So don't hold your tongue, but... Don't start with, we knew, we did, we got it all, because we didn't get it all right. There's still no infrastructure for young mothers um, going back to work. We got a lot of it, but we didn't understand how much there was to do. So I guess my message to baby boomers who are also mothers or grandmothers, listen, listen, listen to your daughters and your granddaughters.
2: You know, I want to say something as a baby boomer woman. No, I wasn't. You know, I wasn't in the bra burning. I was uh, a little bit. There were that. no bras burned, older,
3: Patricia. I right. have to stop you. Bras were thrown into trash cans. The media decided bras were burned. No bras were burned. Okay. Well, I, it was a figure—a
2: figure of speech. But but what I'm yeah, and I think you understand. But what I'm trying to say is that I wasn't in that sort of defiant era. I was in an era where I saw a mother being taken care of by a father. And the lesson that I was learning is, look, you know, go to college, get an education, be a teacher or a nurse or whatever you want to do, but make sure you get married and you have a man take care of you. And that was really what I, that's what I saw. That's what I saw. I didn't see an independent, strong, entrepreneurial woman, which is what I've become. So even though I've done that, I think it's probably been a little bit of a conflict and harder for me because that wasn't the model that I saw. Comment on that.
3: I think very few of us grew up with the models that today's younger women are growing up with because our culture was so entrenched in exactly what you just described and also what Friedan wrote about the feminine mystique that a mother, a woman, a wife, any and all of the above must be at all times feminine, pleasing fingernails done, I mean all of that and even if it was a mother that was very involved in homemaking and housework and so we grew up with these mystiques and of course we grew up with the you're nothing if you don't get married and um, I sure fixed that, I just kept getting married so I learned I, I'm a slow but thorough learner um, I think that looking back now on all that has transpired in My lifetime from the time I became aware of other options for women. I would say it really started for me when I was in high school to where I am now. I see that women of all ages still struggle with the dilemma that you've just said so brilliantly. And part of that struggle is Many of us want to be entrepreneurs or writers or actors or whatever, lawyers, in the, in the stream of income and commerce or artistry, and yet still very much wish to be chosen by a man to find, yes. that, find that domestic Absolutely. prince. Absolutely. Find that yeah. domestic prince. And Betty herself suffered from this. And you know, I think it can be done today. I think it
2: can. I mean, I think it takes, you know, it's a special man and a special woman. But I, I've seen it happen. You, you know, don't see it everywhere. You see more traditional role models of men and women in marriage. But I, I've, I've seen it happen. And I think you just
3: have to know it's there. Well, I think you are are absolutely right and in fact the very last chapter of my book is called Reenvisioning Romantic Feminism oh. and what I say in that is that we need a slow love movement. You know we had the slow food movement where we <laughs> were convinced that if we could just wean ourselves from tasty junk food and fast food and all of that stuff that gives you that quick high and oh it's so good but then you're really hungry fast. Um that Falling in love too fast and that jittery, wonderful, oh my God, will he love me? Will he choose me? Does he love me? Doesn't he love me? You know, that's all well and good, but it doesn't usually last at that level. And there is a different kind of romantic love that is more of a partnership and that you learn. You learn the other person's contours, emotional contours. You learn to trust. And what what I find encouraging is that among the young women I know in their late 20s and early 30s who are embarking on commitments and marriages, they act together far more than I did. They're more of a team. They understand work-life balance, and they understand yes. that that it shouldn't be all one person's job, not the husband, not the wife. Um, I'm encouraged by the way I see young women and young men figuring out their lives together in the domestic sphere of their lives and
2: and i think too we only have a couple minutes left but i think too alita that we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. we don't want to we can be a feminist but we want to
3: be feminine and i think sometimes and romantic some of that. patricia and romantic exactly there is nothing evil wrong with being right. Romantic, right. And romantic. All right, all right. Tell people how we can get the book. Please buy my book. It's not only funny; it's informative. But feminists do have a sense of humor. Uh, Amazon has a lovely page up for me, um, dear Princess Grace, dear Betty, and also I do have a website with some kind of oh, I would say funny and lovely pictures with Betty Friedan herself, and also <laughs> the Princess <laughs> Grace. And alitabrill.com. Thank you for having me, Patricia. Always a pleasure. It was wonderful. Family on the line for a second.
2: All right, folks, that wraps up this edition of the Patricia Raskin Show. Remember, stay healthy, stay happy, get the support you need, and know you can make your dreams come true. Until next time, I'm Patricia Raskin. write to me, Patricia, at patriciaraskin.com. Bye for now.